1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're without a Bible this morning, just wave to one of the men coming up the aisles right now, and they'll put a Bible in your hand, marked to our passage we're studying today for your convenience. And please, if you don't own a Bible, would you make that Bible a gift from the Lord Himself to you uh, today? God wants everyone to own a Bible, to know the Bible, and uh, for our blessing and for His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll pick things up in verse 12. Paul writes, by the Spirit of God, Now, if Christ is preached uh, that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Uh, then uh, also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for this day of celebration that is set aside all around the world. Uh, to celebrate the capstone of those three greatest events in human history, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we continue our celebration, that you would allow it to continue right into now the study of your word and your great perspective on what this resurrection means, what it's intended to mean in, in uh, human history, what it's intended to mean in each life, the significance of it, Lord. And we pray that you would bless us now as we study your word. Lord, our prayers uh, we want to lift up to you for the churches that were bombed in Sri Lanka today. And our hearts are broken, so many dead, and so many of our brothers and sisters wounded by the hundreds. And we pray, Lord, that you would console and comfort the families. We pray that you would be to each one uh, what only you can be at such a time. And we pray, Lord, for those that have been wounded, that you would heal them and you would protect their life related to these injuries. And we also pray in the midst of all of this that you would give a greater measure of your Holy Spirit and a greater measure of celebration to every assembly of your people all around the world today in celebrating Jesus. We pray that the intent to dampen or to distract your people from, and the world itself from this great resurrection of your Son, that they, what they intended to do would not be effective in any way. And so bless us, bless us by your Holy Spirit. We commit this world, we commit our lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul addressed a false doctrine that had infiltrated the church <clears throat> at Corinth. 
and the false doctrine uh, being that some within the church in Corinth were asserting that there is uh, no resurrection from the dead as he speaks about there in verse uh, 12. And so this error concerning the resurrection, it might have uh, been brought into the church by false teachers, or it might very well have just come uh, into the church as an influence from the culture around them. Uh, Corinth was a Greek city. In fact, it was a very, very Greek city at the time that Paul writes uh, this letter uh, to them. And uh, the Greeks did not believe in resurrection. In fact, they mocked the idea of the resurrection. You might remember that when Paul came to Athens, the capital of Greece, in the book of Acts, and he went to Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he began to preach Christ to them. They listened to him intently, uh, all the way to the point that he began to describe Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead. And the moment he reached that point, uh, they began uh, uh, that someone was standing before them in the person of the Apostle Paul uh, who was speaking and seriously considered uh, the, the resurrection of the dead to be something that uh, was possible and true. They broke up the entire meeting, as you might remember, with their mocking, though we're told that some believed and, in the Lord and put their faith in Him for salvation. And so, why did Paul's preaching of the resurrection from the dead break up that uh, meeting of Greeks in, in large part? It was because in general, while the uh, Greeks believed in life after death, they absolutely believed in the immortality uh, of the soul. They rejected any idea that the body would rise. They rejected any idea of a physical uh, resurrection. Uh, their view of the human body was that it was essentially a tomb, and they believed that death meant the liberation of the soul from the prison of the physical body. And they believed that when they died, they uh, went as a spirit being into uh, their equivalent uh, uh, to heaven, their Elysium, or to their equivalent of hell, which they called Tartarus, or Hades, and they went to one or the other based upon the quality of life that they lived in uh, on this earth. And, though, and as a result, they felt that there was no need for a body in eternity. There was no need for resurrection. It isn't unlikely that some of those who put their faith in Jesus at uh, Corinth did so uh, as new Christians without any kind of considerable uh, consideration uh, being given to uh, the importance of his resurrection. And so they might have been easily deceived by false teachers who came in. And I think most of us can uh, understand that, uh, being Christians and having uh, at one time having been a brand new Christian. And, a new, uh, and, and no new Christian, I think, can fully understand and appreciate uh, the fullness of the gospel that has saved them, the fullness of the life that they've been saved into. Uh, they don't learn that in an instant. And even today, many people put their faith in Jesus uh, in order to receive everlasting life. They receive the forgiveness of their sins. They are saved. 
but they don't yet understand the significance of Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead uh, to their salvation. And, and as a result, they consider his resurrection to be something relatively unimportant, at least they can. And something you can believe in or not believe in, it's of no real consequence uh, either way. And, uh, but it is a big deal. And as a result of it, Paul rises up and, and he closes, virtually closes the letter, uh, his first letter to the church at Corinth uh, by writing this entire chapter, chapter 15, uh, to emphasize to them uh, the importance of the significance and to do so, uh, significance of the resurrection and to do so in no uncertain terms. And of course, this blessed in instruction uh, concerning the importance of uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the result. Now, in verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul declared that the gospel, that is God's good news of salvation, his invitation uh, of salvation to sinful man, that includes not only Jesus' death upon the cross and his burial, but it also includes Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And uh, in this passage that we've just read, Paul now lists the disastrous consequences of denying the reality of the resurrection. He says in verse 12, if there is no resurrection from the dead, and then he follows that now with seven uh, massive consequences of rejecting the truth of resurrection. In verse 13, he says, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus himself is the first casualty uh, of that belief or that teaching. If there's no resurrection, then he is not alive. Uh, that's a pretty big casualty to the doctrine of no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then he's not seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not interceding for us at that right hand. He's not going to return for us one day. We will never again see, never see him one day face to face. He says in verse 14, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. It is empty. And a gospel that does not include a victory over death is not good news at all. It is a gospel that is pretending. It's a gospel that is empty. It's a gospel that is powerless. And if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then our preaching concerning Jesus' power over the grave, uh, his power to defeat death, his power to forgive, uh, his power to save and to give everlasting life to sinners is just empty, it's meaningless, powerless words. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then all of the gospel messages that have ever been preached all around the world throughout all of the centuries have been a complete waste of time. And every sinner who prayed the sinner's prayer in response to that gospel message was engaging in something that was a complete waste of time. The gospel would be a sham. It would be a fake because the Savior who promised that He would rise from the dead in three days as a witness to the truthfulness of His teaching and as a proof of that His death upon the cross really did pay the full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sins, did not in fact rise from the dead. Uh, 
He goes on in verse 14, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is empty. Our faith is vain. Because if the gospel is a sham, then the faith that we have put in that gospel is a sham as well. Our faith is only as good as the thing that we put our faith in. And if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we have put our faith in a dead man, one who is powerless in the face of death, as powerless in the face of death as each of us are. Our faith is empty and it is as useless as a dead man. Our prayers are meaningless. Our worship is meaningless. Our hope is meaningless if Jesus, if there is no resurrection. In verse 15, if there is no resurrection, then we are false witnesses. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Isaiah is a liar for having declared Messiah would be raised from the dead. David is also a liar for having declared that Messiah would be raised from the dead. All of the apostles are liars for having declared themselves to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They swore that Jesus, uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, they declared to have spent 40 days with him after the resurrection, eating and drinking with him. There is no way that they could have been deceived or mistaken. Either they told the truth or they were deliberate liars and deceivers and frauds concerning the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, they were lying in the name of God. If there is no resurrection, these are not honest men, the apostles. These are not heroes of the faith and heroes of the early church, but they're monsters for having preached lies to people about the single most important thing in their lives, and that is salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. And if there is no resurrection, then everyone who has ever preached the gospel of hope to needy sinners, from the apostles right down into this uh, room here today, uh, have been guilty of bringing, uh, being a false witness concerning Jesus, guilty of false advertising, guilty of lying to people about everlasting life. Either Christ rose or we are all liars, and we are worse than liars. We are blasphemers. For then having sullied the name and the reputation of God Almighty by linking him then to the life and the claims of Jesus. In verse 17, he's not done yet. He says, if there is no resurrection, then we're still in our sins. We are still unforgiven. Every Christian who has lived long years confident of the forgiveness of their sins has been completely self-deceived. Their sins have not been separated from them as far as the east is from the west. The idea that God has forgiven us our sins was just an illusion. It's not based in reality at all. And now instead of basking in the completeness of God's forgiveness of our sins and all of the peace that that brings to our lives, the joy that it brings to our lives, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's all a lie. 
And now we have no option but to be reintroduced now into that swirling abyss of our former shame and guilt and condemnation. If there is no resurrection, we are not bound for heaven as we once thought, but we are bound for hell. And we have no power to resist sin. We have no power to live a life that is free from sin. All we can do is to wait until all of the old sins that had once dominated our lives now form a line to once again take control of our lives and to bring us into bondage once again. He's not finished yet. In verse 18, if there is no resurrection, those who have died have perished. Every word of comfort spoken at countless millions of memorial services for Christians have uh, been a farce. They've been make-believe. They've been a false hope. Uh, Our loved ones are not in heaven. Uh, We will never see them again. Every word of comfort concerning heaven that we spoke to them in the final days and the final hours of their life concerning uh, heaven was a complete lie. And those who have given their entire lives to living for God and serving God, whether in their local church or all around the world, have perished just as surely and just as completely as the most vile criminal or mass murder has died. They wasted their lives believing a lie and even worse, advancing a lie. Paul goes on in verse 19 and he says, if there is no resurrection, we are of all men the most pitiable. We have wasted our lives believing in a lie, living for a lie. All of the trials, all of the suffering, all of the hardship, all of the persecution, all of the refining, all of the faithfulness, all of the obedience to God's Word is ultimately meaningless. They have no eternal value at all. Everything is lost at death. And everyone who lived for sin and selfishness in human history, they were the smart ones. And the rest of us just played a cruel joke upon ourselves if there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul asked the Christians in the church at Corinth, do you see what a wonderful thing you've done to Christianity? What a wonderful improvement you've made upon it by denying resurrection? See how beautiful you've made it, how appealing you have made it, how, uh, m- how much you've improved it in, in your wisdom. And Paul essentially declares that to deny the resurrection uh, is to deny the resurrection of Jesus, which is to destroy the gospel and to deliver a fatal blow to Christianity. And Paul made his point concerning the folly of any Christian denying resurrection and specifically the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But thankfully, Paul didn't stop there. There is a verse 20 to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he goes on in that first phrase of verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And because he is risen from the dead, he is alive. And all he taught and promised is true. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He does ever live to make intercession for us. He is returning for us. We will see him one day face to face. Our preaching is not in vain. 
God does love sinners. God is eager to forgive and to save us. The gospel isn't empty. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We can share the gospel without shame, with the absolute confidence that we are sharing the greatest news that any sinner or any human being will ever hear, the ultimate purpose of even the sense of hearing, a message that will never disappoint any who put their trust in it. And further, our faith is not in vain because Jesus is risen from the dead. His resurrection bears witness to the fact that in His death upon the cross, He really did pay the full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sin. That our faith is well-placed. That our faith is well-founded. That it is founded upon a Savior who keeps His Word, who is absolutely trustworthy, who will never let us down who keeps every one of His promises no matter what is required of Him in order to do so, that He does hear our prayers, that He does receive our worship, and that He does notice and honor our faith. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we are not false witnesses. What Isaiah prophesied was true. What David prophesied was true. What the apostles preached was true. Those who preached the gospel to us spoke the truth to us. And when we share the gospel with others, we are telling them the truth about the most important decision they will ever make in life. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we are no longer in our sins. And I say hallelujah to that. We are forgiven. Our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. God did give us a fresh start when Jesus became our Savior. We don't have to live in the sin or the shame or the guilt or the condemnation of our past sins. The blood of Jesus Christ does continually cleanse us from sin. And because Jesus is risen from the dead, those believing loved ones who have died have not perished. They are with the Lord. They are safely home in heaven. They do not experience pain or sorrow any longer. They're enjoying this morning all of the sights and sounds and glory uh, of heaven itself because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And because Jesus is risen from the dead, not only are we not to be pitied, we are to be envied. We are not living for a lie. Instead, it is the world that is doing so. And we are living for the truth. As Jesus uh, declared, He said, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that word know that He speaks about there, and knowing the truth is the Greek word gnosko, and it means more than just having an intellectual knowledge of truth. It means to have a knowledge by virtue of experience. We don't just know the truth as Christians in our heads. We are living the truth. We are living life as God intended life to be lived. And we, do, and we not only possess eternal life, but we also live and possess an abundant life. Again, as Jesus declared, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And now allows me to close here this morning with Jesus' recommendation to every single person in this world and in this room. There came a day in Jesus' public ministry where the scribes and the Pharisees, two sects among the Jews and the ancient world, they came to Jesus demanding a sign of him. And uh, the sign that they were demanding of him was to, in order that he might prove something to them. And what they were demanding was a sign that would warrant their belief in him as the Messiah, to believe his claims to be uh, the Son of God and God the Son. The fact of the matter is they didn't need any more signs. There were signs all over the, uh, Israel, from the north to the south to the east and the west. You had people raised from the dead. You had lepers cleansed. You had people healed. You had uh, the lame walking and the blind seeing, the poor having the gospel preached to them. But Jesus conceded to give them one more sign. Jesus answered, we're told in Matthew 12, and Jesus answered them saying, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the singular, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so he offers them a sign. Uh, to uh, uh, validate all of his claims. And what sign did he give them? He gave them the sign of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, so Jesus himself would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the idea is three days and three nights only three days and three nights alone, he was speaking about his resurrection. And what was he communicating uh, to them and to us all the way through the ages, to every single one of us in this room uh, that has not yet trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and made him the Savior and the Lord of our life? And he was communicating in all of this, do not trust in any salvation, in any Savior, in any Messiah who has not conquered death for you. And there is a whole world of people who wax eloquent about life and about how it's to be lived and about uh, death and about anything and everything, about eternity, about everlasting life. But if they have not explained the origin of death, why does death exist in human history in a way that only the Bible describes, in Adam all die, if they do not supply you with an explanation for the existence of death and then provide a victory over it, then they are not to be heeded. And Jesus not only spoke authoritatively about life and death, but he then proceeded to demonstrate his authority over death through his resurrection. And he spoke to Mary immediately, pre immediately previous to raising her brother from the dead there in the city of Bethany. And he said to her in John chapter 11, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, uh, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he, whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. And so, uh, whoever lives, that's every single one of us in this room, you can check that box. But it isn't just living that gives us everlasting life. Whoever uh, lives and believes in me will never die. And uh, if you will check that box this morning by giving your life to Christ this morning, uh, trusting in Him uh, for salvation in your life, you will never die. And Jesus will make the forgiveness of sins. He will make a personal relationship with God. He will make everlasting life and so much more a free gift to you this morning. And if you have never done that in the course of your life, all uh, the invitation of God to you today, He's done all of the heavy lifting in the sending of His Son into this world, as Pastor Mike already prayed, to live a sinless life, to be the Lamb of God without spot and blemish who takes away the sins of the world, and then to die that death upon the cross for our sins, a death that we should have died, but it wouldn't have made any difference if we had died because we are unqualified as sinners to provide for our own salvation, buried and then risen again, on the third day, he's done everything to make all of this a gift to every single human being in this world. But a gift must be received in order for it uh, to have any impact upon uh, my life. And so if you sit here this morning and you say, yes, I believe God's assessment of me as a sinner. I've been less than perfect all of my life. And yes, it isn't inconceivable to me that heaven is so holy a place and God is so holy a person that but one sin in my life would disqualify me for a relationship with him. But then you also believe what Jesus spoke and declared, and that is that God loves you and he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in that unsaved condition, but wants to provide us with the forgiveness of sins and has done so in the crucifixion of his son and in his resurrection. And if this morning you look and you say, on this Easter morning in 2019, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from a sin-dominated life, a self-dominated life, and I want to enter into the life as God intends it to be, the life that God uh, has purchased for me. And by putting my faith in His Son and receiving His salvation, there will be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they would love to answer your questions and pray with you this morning and enter into uh, the glory of uh, the Christian life that we are celebrating today. There's something about Christmas. There's something about Easter. We celebrate it as Christians. These are special days, uh, not because they're special days on a calendar, but they're days that are set aside to uh, celebrate monumental events, uh, events without peer in human uh, history. And yet all of us, as, we, as these days are set aside, and we're thankful that they are, 
all of us as Christians walk with the realization that every day is Christmas for us. Every day is Resurrection Sunday because of what God has done for us. I kiddingly remarked about Pastor Gordon as uh, we began, only because he's safe to kid. But all of us to stop and think about who would we be, what would we be without this gospel? Where would we be in life without this gospel? In this life, to say nothing of the life to come. How grateful we are for Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, how far-reaching it is, what a perfect match it is for every need of man, the deepest needs of men and women. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer and a closing worship song. Father, we thank you again this morning for our Savior. We thank you for all that he was willing to leave to come into this world in order to provide a gospel to us, all that was involved in that cross and that burial, and then in that resurrection, and all that it is intended to communicate to the whole world, Lord, every day, but especially today. We pray for each person that has not yet trusted in uh, your Son, Jesus, this morning, that your Spirit would be so strong in your witness to your truth and this provision for them that not one person would leave unsaved from this church grounds today, Lord, but come into this life and into this hope that is found only in the death and burial and the resurrection of your Son. And Lord, we are so thankful to you, so thankful for what you have brought into our lives in your Son, thankful for the celebration that is in our lives and in our spirit, day in and day out, whatever the highs and the lows of life. We thank you for how you have made us rich, Lord, in ways in, 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 that lie far beyond the reach of the circumstances of life. We bless you today from this place on planet Earth this morning uh, with our deep, deep gratitude, Lord, for your goodness to us in your Son. And we bless you, Father, in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.